Now, can we turn in the church Bibles to 1 Thessalonians and chapter 3? 1 Thessalonians and chapter 3. And if we could start reading at verse 1. Start reading at verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left alone in that, behind in Athens alone. And uh, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the temper had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see see you face to face. And supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. And for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Now let's pray and ask God to help us to understand his word. Oh, Father in heaven, uh, we would pray that you are going to um, instruct us, teach us your ways, Lord. Uh, we pray, the Lord, that you will uh, admonish us, Lord, and correct us, Lord, when we're going wrong. Lead us in the ways of righteousness and, and, and love, Lord. Open our eyes, Lord, to see the way we should go. But we, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit's power to actually change us and, and empower us in our lives. And we ask you, Lord, that you will, will do this through your word uh, uh, tonight, that your spirit will take your word and apply it powerfully. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Now the passage I'm reading um, is a passage that really uh, kind of ambushed me yesterday. Uh, I was... Uh, uh, I, I, focused on one verse yesterday, and uh, I decided I, I'd preach from this rather than um, the, my, the Ephesians passage that I was possibly going to preach on. Um, and I firstly want to say, well, what ambushed me? Well, it, it's about a love. It's about love, the way, the love for God and love for people, and the way Paul expresses his feelings of love and the 
effects the love of God has upon Christians in the, in the middle of all kinds of, of difficult experiences. In the verses I'm actually going to concentrate on, um, in verses uh, uh, verse not, verse, uh, sorry, 6 onwards, you see that Paul expresses intense desire for his, his Christian converts, his Christian children, that they should be growing in the Lord and that they should themselves know that love of God more and more in their hearts. Paul has been through an intense set of experiences in the previous months. Um, as, I'm, as I'm reading it in context and reading other bits of his letters and the Acts of the Apostles, you realize that um, Paul was not a kind of uh, superman who, uh, who uh, was untouched by fears, insecurity, or for that matter could get rid of traumas of real pain. Now, we know Paul himself inflicted such pain. Uh, he, he didn't participate in the execution of Stephen, but he helped to organize it. And we're also told in the Acts of the Apostles that he went around, uh, you know, dragging Christians from their homes before, he was, before he'd met the Lord. He went around actually uh, inflicting trauma upon other people of, their, uh, of the parents being dragged away and children left crying as, uh, as uh, uh, parents were imprisoned. But Paul wasn't a hardened superman or for that matter, now he'd become a Christian. All of that ruthless, that ruthless hardness of a, of a persecutor had been taken from him. And we realize that the persecution he went through, the pain he went through really got through to him. Maybe this was the, you know, partly the Lord's discipline upon him for what he'd done in the previous, the, the younger years of his life. But either way, he had a really hard time. So for instance, in Thessalonica itself, um, if we look at uh, Acts 17.5, you needn't turn out, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll read it. Acts 17.5 tells us, The Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them, that is Paul and uh, Silas, out to the crowd. And when they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authority, shouting, These men have turned the world upside down and have come here also. It's, it is pretty shocking to have a mob wanting to kill you. Now, Paul had had that. But actually, Paul was having that at the same time as he was actually bearing the wounds of a severe scourging, which Henry referred to this morning when he was at Philippi. A scourging which often ended in death by infection. Um, it was a, 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 a terrible beating with, uh, you know, with, with whips, uh, and both him and Silas were, would still have been suffering the pain from that. And Paul is smuggled out of Thessalonica. You know, there's been, there's been a, a little revival going on in Thessalonica. Many, many people becoming Christians. Uh, but, but the mob, you know, he escapes the mob. He's sent away to a neighboring town called Berea. And again, there's a great successful mission in, in Berea. But it says in uh, verse 13 of Acts 17, when Jews from Thessalonica learnt that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then Paul escaped again 
and uh, went by sea and arrived in Athens, where he stayed for a time, not very long, and eventually moved on to Corinth. Now, I think there is evidence in, the, in our text, uh, in, in the Acts of the Apostles, that um, in the text, of the, not our text tonight, but the text of the Acts of the Apostles, that basically Paul was shaken by the persecutions and the, the hatred and the mob violence. And the reason I say that is when he got to Corinth, it says this, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed, Paul was preaching, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And Paul is seeing exactly what happened in Thessalonica, Berea. Now it's happening in Corinth. Loads of people becoming Christians. And what does it say in verse 9? The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. And to me that's a clear indication. Paul needed that. (laughs) Paul needed that. Paul was feeling vulnerable. You might even say, I mean I'm now superimposing something, post-traumatic stress disorder probably wasn't as bad as that but I believe that the very fact that the Lord had to come to him in a vision to tell him not to be afraid but go on speaking shows that he wasn't this invulnerable superman and in fact one of the problems we have when we read the Acts of the Apostles we know the end story you know we know the end we know that the church wonderfully spread throughout the Roman Empire and wonderfully in the next 300 years conquered the Roman Empire we know that in advance. So when we read the text of, of, of uh, the Acts of the Apostles and Paul's letters, we don't realize that it was only by faith that Paul was preaching. There was no, you know, from any human point of view, how could he and, and his small band of apostles possibly have a chance against, indeed, his enemies, the, 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 you know, the, the, his fellow countrymen, who opposed Christ, how would he have a chance against them? They wanted to assassinate him wherever he went. And let alone, how could he spread the gospel in an in a empire based on idolatry, full of idolatry, and full of hatred of the living God and of believers? And yet, and yet, there was something controlling Paul that enabled him to overcome his fears. Of course, he needed encouragement when it felt weak. But there was something controlling him that enabled him to move on into those really perilous situations, the really dangerous situations, full of possible pain and possible death. And what was that? Well, we know, don't we? Paul said it himself in Corinthians. For the love of Christ controls us. That love of Christ controls us. And that's what I want to be thinking about uh, tonight. Because actually, in this passage when, in, in Thessalonians... We find Paul under the control of love, love for the Lord and love for his people. And uh, I want us uh, to notice this, that actually um, Paul was someone who didn't serve the Lord merely like a slave. He didn't serve the Lord merely because he felt guilty. Oh, if I don't do it, you know, people will look at me or on the day of judgment, I will, I will have to... I will have to, um, you know, pay the consequences of my sins. No, he wasn't trying to save himself by evangelizing. The love of Christ controlled him. And he wanted to serve the Lord and he wanted to do, to do, uh, to do what, he, uh, what he could for the people of this world. So, uh, you'll notice that um, my title is about 
strange title uh, to do with the fact that uh, in fact, if, you, if you actually look on the, uh, on the title page, you'll see a picture of Frank Sinatra's uh, LP from 50, 60 years ago called Night and Day. And Why have I done that? What's a love song, a worldly love song, got to do with Thessalonians? Well, I want to say this. This letter is permeated by the love and comfort that Paul is experiencing in the midst of these shocks. And night and day he is controlled by this love. I mean, in the prayer meeting yesterday, I concentrated on the verse where Paul talks about night and day he's praying for the people. And uh, uh, if, you, uh, if you look at verse, uh, verse 10, he says, As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Why was Paul praying night and day for the Thessalonians? Well, firstly, night and day he was experiencing the love of God. And this is a challenge to me, maybe it's, it's to you. Are we experiencing, are we looking for, are we trusting in the wonderful and marvelous love of God night and day? You know, Paul didn't go to sleep before thanking the Lord, praying, seeking the Lord. And when he woke up, he did the same. And when he was making tents, he was, he was, he was also, I'm sure, praying. And as we, uh, as we go further into, into this, we see that I am sure that uh, Paul had this incredible desire uh, to actually know that love of the Lord. Now, I'll give you the reason why I think uh, he had that desire to know the love of the Lord in a second. But let me now read the words of the song, Night and Day. It was written by Cole Porter, an old-fashioned songwriter. It says, and I'm going to read the words. It says, like the beat, beat, beat of the tom-tom, when the jungle shadows fall, like the tick, tick-tock of the stately clock as it stands against the wall, like the beat, beat, beat of the tom-tom when the jungle shadows fall, like the tick-tick-tock of the stately clock as it stands against the wall, like the drip-drip-drip of the raindrops when the summer shower is through. So a voice within me keeps repeating, you, 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 night and day, you are the one, only you beneath the moon and under the sun, whether near to me or far, it's no matter where you are, I think of you. Night and day, day and night, why is it so that this longing for, for you follows wherever I go? Now, you could turn that into a Christian song. Immediately someone will say, well, how dare you make a comparison between romantic love, which is what Cole Porter was talking about, and a relationship between God and man. Well, we can do so because God himself does it. In Song of Songs, there's a very similar there's a very similar. Um, set of, of statements. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I'll seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchman found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them by when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go. Now, the Song of Songs is about the church, the churches, and therefore us as individuals' attitude to the wonderful, loving God. 
Do we have, do I have that desire to love the Lord in such a way that I will never let it, oh, I won't, I won't let him go. I'll be faithful to him. I'll love him. Paul, um, Paul talks about, uh, right at the end of this chapter, which I'll speak to briefly, about the word that uh, Henry was talking about this morning, consecration. Giving yourself over uh, to the living God. And what does, what does, uh, what does the, the Song of Songs tell us? It tells us of a desire to, for, for a believer to actually give themselves completely to God. And in fact, we actually, we actually find in, in the Song of, uh, Song of Songs 5 verse 8 that he says, I'm sick with love. I'm sick with love. Oh, I'm so overtaken with love. Uh, or, or the bride says, I'm, she's so overtaken by love that she's, she's actually sick with love. Now, I believe that that's what actually we've got as an atmosphere to, to what Paul is saying. And although we haven't got that that long I want to suggest certain things. Firstly, how can we find this love in our own lives, that life for the Lord? Well, firstly, it's a sovereign work of God uh, that we should find and experience this love in our lives. But that may sound, that may sound very, very daunting, uh, as though this is something far away from us. But no, to believers, the Lord delights to show his love to us. What, does, what do we find in Romans 5, verse 5? It says this, Hope in the Lord doesn't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Every believer has already been initiated into this wonderful love of God. We, we know that God loves us, and that's why we've been able to bring our sins before him our shame, our sense of pain, what our life has been like. And we know that he accepts us. We know that Christ died for us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And those two verses go together. While we were still weak, God will pour into our hearts the Holy Spirit. You may say, oh, I've been backsliding. Oh, I've sinned. I've been, oh, last week was terrible. While you are still weak, while we as a, uh, as a human race were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. And while we are still weak, Christ applies the, the, the uh, results of his death to our lives. If we're a Christian and have backsli- back, back, been back, back, backsliding, we only have to come back to him in faith and, and Christ's death is freshly applied to our lives to cleanse us from our sins. And furthermore, our weakness, our coldness, our lack of the experience of the love of God, we're promised. It will be poured into our hearts as we trust in the Lord and move on in our Christian lives. Now, um, just want to note the the following things, so I won't really have time to, to speak on these things in, in, in much detail, but if you want to actually look at the text, I've divided uh, it up into a number of kind of uh, things. Firstly, I would say that verse 7 is about love being received. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distresses and afflictions, we've been comforted about you through your faith. Um, verse 8 is love strengthening. For now we live 
if you're standing fast in the Lord. Verse 9 is about love being appreciated. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? And then verse 10, which I spoke at the prayer meeting, Zoom meeting, love shown constantly. As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Love praying, in other words. And now may God, our God uh, and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. That's love abounding. And finally, the fruits of love. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Okay, now, what I want to start off with, though, is, is to speak to anybody who's listening online, might be in the church, who haven't yet received the love of Christ, haven't come to Christ. Now, I want us to notice that the Thessalonians received the love of Christ through faith. Paul says, at, at the beginning of uh, Thessalonians, he rem- uh, in verse 3, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says specifically that, uh, verse 9, They themselves report concerning of the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living, to true, uh, to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. Now, the Thessalonians didn't receive the love of God by some special mystical exercise or by uh, you know, following various rules. They received this love of God into their life by faith. They trusted him. They were idol worshippers. They were fornicators. They were drunkards. They were just ordinary sinners, hard-hearted sinners. But when the gospel came to them, when they received this message, God loves sinners And Jesus Christ died for sinners, and all you need to do is come to him and receive him. They trusted him. They trusted him. They received that message by faith. And receiving that message, the love of God was poured out into their heart. The Holy Spirit came into their life and gave them the power to turn away from idols, to turn away from drunkenness, fornication, theft, and all of the other sins that have been in their life, to turn away from idol worship, to serve the living and true God. So love is received by faith. And this, as I've said, this is a really important point for us who are, who are Christians. We carry on receiving uh, more and more of the influences of the Holy Spirit in our life by faith. And if we fail by faith, what do we do? If we, can, if, if, if we sin, what do we do? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the thing is this, that basically... Um, I want us to, to uh, understand that um, Jesus died for us and it's, it, is, it is his death that is the source and origin of this baptism of love in our lives. That's why we must always come back to the cross. I was reading the um, you know, biographical notes on David Livingstone, the, um, the great explorer, um, who basically spent uh, decades looking for the source of the Nile. And uh, he actually, he actually um, traveled 29,000 miles on foot. 29,000, well, maybe used a, 
maybe used a horse from time to time. Mostly it was on foot. 29,000 miles, which is more than the, the, the circumference of the whole earth. He traveled it in Africa under difficult terrain to try to find the source of the Nile. He found one massive river. He thought it was the source, but it turned out to be the River Congo. Um, he, uh, of course, did discover, or, or, or first European to discover, um, the Victoria Falls. Very, but he never found the source of the Nile, despite all of his wanderings. Because he was, he, and you just have to say, well, he didn't have the map. He didn't have the place to the location to go. The Bible tells us we have the source for love in our life, and it is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's where the source is for love. Is understanding how great God's love is to everyone shown by sending his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Now, in the open air yesterday, I, I used this illustration. And I think it's true. Many people can't accept and don't understand how great God's love is because they just think of Jesus as just a man. And they deride people who preach the gospel. Oh, he's just a man, just like us. And we're just specks on the planet. So what's the difference between one person dying and another person dying? Well, how could the death of Jesus Christ on the cross affect people today? I remember reading that in a theology book um, 60 years ago. Objections to Christian belief. And a professor of theology at Cambridge said something to that effect. Well, how could the death of Christ really affect anybody today? Well, let's think now about this universe in which we live Modern scientists think that they know what happened after creation, after God created the universe. Some of them believe in God, some don't. But after the first trillionth of a second of the creation of the universe, the, the universe expanded from being just an incredibly small point, microscopic small point, and in one trillionth of a second... It expanded to a point which is uh, 40,000 million, 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 million times bigger. The whole universe came into existence. Now, the thing is that what appeared to be the first thing that God created... If, if they were correct, they may not be correct, but if the first thing that God created was that microscopic speck of, that appeared to be, to appear to be very little, but from that created the whole universe. Massive. You know, let there be light, and suddenly the universe is filled with energy. Boundless time. We must understand that the death of Christ was firstly in a number of stages. Firstly, the infinite God sent his son, who was God, was with God, and the infinite one was contracted to a span, as the old hymn says, was contracted to a speck upon earth, a human being. And then the one whom we know, Jesus, who lived amongst us full of grace and truth and was kind to sinners and kind to the disciples, was a friend of, of sinners, and then he was crucified in our place. And his, his death 
wasn't the death of a speck. This was the death of the Son of God become man and become a speck. But within whom the whole Godhead, the whole Godhead dwelt in bodily form, in that speck which is the human body. And then when he died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, gigantic power was unleashed from that loving act of dying on the cross. A gigantic power to forgive and save billions of people. Now, if you're listening online and and you feel, well, I'm too bad, well, I'm sorry, you can't be too bad because the death of Christ was of such momentous significance, was so vast in its ability to cancel out sin, to pave the price for sin, that everyone's sin can be completely forgiven, completely wiped away, and though our sins are as red as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. And what do you need to do? You need to have faith in that. Faith. This is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The Lord has given us the equipment to be saved. Now I say, what, what, what equipment do I mean? Well, he's provided a refuge for us in in which we may be saved. And what is that refuge? That refuge is the death of Christ, the death of our Savior. That refuge is the cross of Christ and his death. And we trust in him. And we are surrounded by the effects of his death so that we may be filled up with life. We may have eternal life. Now, Paul um, in Thessalonians, in verse 8, goes on to talk about the, the way that Love is being strengthened in the Christian's life. Paul talks about himself. He says uh, in verse 8, Now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. It's as as if he's saying, I'm fully alive. Now that I hear that you're you're trusting the Lord, you're carrying on with your Christian faith. Because he was worried. He was, was, as I said, I think he maybe was slightly slightly uh, traumatized by his own afflictions and his own his own uh, his own uh, his own meetings with violent opposition but now he was bathed in joy and gladness in what god was doing in thessalonica his life was being fulfilled this was Now what his life was about, preaching Christ, seeing people come to Christ. And now that these converts that had come to Christ, he heard they were carrying on. He was now filled even more with um, the love of God. Love strengthens. And, of course, God himself in his providence was strengthening Paul's love for himself through this experience of of uh, the faithfulness of God. And in verse 9, it, it tells us that basically, Paul now appreciates all the more the wonderful love of God. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Paul, Paul wanted to offer all of the, you know, all the thanksgiving imaginable to God for the joy that flooded his heart in knowing that Christians were growing in the Lord. Now, firstly, on a practical level, um, I wonder if you appreciate that that kind of 
battle is going on in the heart of, of pastors. You know, that there is this cycle of difficulties, suffering, worry, problems. And at the same time, how pastors are so happy, pleased, and, and you know, filled with, with joy when they see their spiritual children growing in the Lord. And uh, pray for pastors. Pray for Henry uh, in his task, 40 years here, of uh, seeking uh, to do the Lord's will, build and grow this church, and, or to see, see God build the church and grow the church. But um, let's, uh, let's pray for those involved in that, in that cycle of, of happiness, you know, when the church is going well and things are going well with the people of the Lord, but also the griefs and of when things don't go well, people backslide, things are getting very hard. Understand uh, that we all are to be filled with a love and a concern uh, for one another and a love and concern for those laboring for the Lord. Um, and this is shown in consistent praying. Now, uh, I'm not going to repeat exactly what I said yesterday, but um, I want to note that um, Paul tells, says that as a result um, of the, this um, uh, really um, amazing mission to Thessalonica, he, he was praying, Paul was praying most earnestly night and day. Uh, he had been praying earnestly night and day. Now he'd heard the good news that they were going on with the Lord. He was still praying earnestly night and day uh, that he might see them face to face and then um, teach them the things they really needed to know. Now, notice that face-to-face is quite important, seeing people face-to-face. I, I do think that, you know, um, Zoom is a wonderful thing. It's fantastic for prayer and for other things, but we, it's, it meant, it's meant to be a supplement, I'm, you know, to our Christian diet. It's not meant to be all that there is. Um, I remember me, meeting a man 15 years ago in Leicester Square that told me he belonged to a cyber church. He didn't go to church anymore, he told me 15 years ago. He went to a cyber church. And, and that meant he meant all, all he ever did was meet online. And even then I could see, well, hang on, you can't just meet online because how can you possibly be properly have an experience of Christian love and intimacy with people if all you're doing is talking through a, through a, a computer? Uh, to people, how can you be disciplined? How can people really, um, you know, talk to you in a way where you know it's quite clear what they're saying? I mean, it's very easy to to misinterpret people. Face to face is important. Zoom is good. Face to face is even better. And uh, Paul wanted to see these people. But he didn't just want to write a letter to them. You know, it's holy scripture, inspired by the Spirit of God. Completely, you know completely authoritative, but he still wanted to see them face to face. And uh, the thing is, uh, his prayer, most earnestly that he might see them face to face, but also it says he might, um, he might supply what's lacking. Now, there, were, there was a lot of Christian teaching that Paul still had to give to the Thessalonians. He hadn't been there for very long, a matter of weeks, and uh, there was loads more he needed to teach them. About the second coming, we need, they, they needed to have a lot of information about that because there were people around that were saying very, very uh, deceptive and, and unhelpful things about the second coming of Christ. So there were loads of things he wanted to do, and he, he prayed earnestly, night and day, that he would actually be able to get back there and give them some, give, give them some more teaching. Um, now, I want us to notice that 
we need to ask the Lord to help us to be uh, in a situation where we're seeking the Lord. When we have those odd moments, yeah, we're seeking the Lord. We're praying continually um, uh, for um, the Lord and praising him. Paul says, you know, pray constantly, but give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, finally, I want us to, to notice this, that Paul finishes by saying, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So we know implicit in this idea of abounding love is this idea that love has started, but he wants it to grow and abound, be fruitful. Night and day we, are, we know the love of God, but we can know more and more and more of it. That's what he tells us in Ephesians, doesn't it? About, you know, that we praise that God may, we may know the height, depth, and massive proportions of the love of God in our life. Here is love. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And there's to be an abounding love, not only for the Lord, but for one another. John says very similar things to Paul, but in different words in his letters. And you remember when he talks about um, living in God. You know, if we, if we live in God, then God lives in us. But also the love of God dwells in us. He who dwells in love dwells in God. He goes as far as to say that. And um, the abounding of love amongst Christians is an indicator of the Christian's love for God. My, you know, little acts of selfishness during the day, I suddenly go inward and just thinking about myself, you know, that's also, it shows to me, at least, well, I'm not, if I'm just going self-centered now, uh, actually, I'm not living in God. I'm not living in love. And we need to understand that the abounding of love for God involves the abounding of love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul finishes the prayer by saying that um, he may establish our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. Love is, finishes its work in believers when our hearts are established in blameless in holiness. Now what does this mean? Well it can't mean that um, you know, uh, we're perfect in the sense that we've never done any wrong in life. Well, of course we're not perfect. We're sinners. That's why we're saved. And even since being Christians, we've sinned and done things that are wrong. But we are blameless before God if we have confessed our sins to him. He's faithful faithful and he's just. And he, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In his sight, we are blameless. And we must continue in that state. We must continue to walk with him. When we sin... We need to confess those sins. We need to consecrate ourselves wholly to him. Uh, and we must um, seek to be ready so that when Jesus comes, we won't be ashamed because we will be uh, in a state of fellowship with him invisibly as we will be when Jesus comes visibly. Or when indeed when we die 
and uh, we face him in heaven. So may it be the truth for, for us that night and day we will be seeking to know this love of God. Night and day we will be praying for our for our fellow Christians, and night and day uh, we will seek to glorify the Lord by living a holy life for him. Okay, we want, need to um, uh, just pray for a, a few seconds, and then we're going to move into communion. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for these amazing gifts you present before us in the word. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation to those who aren't Christians, who aren't believers. Thank you, Lord, it's free offer uh, that we may come to you by faith and receive forgiveness. But we thank you also for this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit that produces the love of God in our hearts, that is poured out in our hearts and turns us from dullness and dryness and darkness and self-centeredness and uh, makes us into different people. We thank you for this, this wonderful healing spring And we ask you, Lord, indeed, that these healing springs may abound in our lives, that we may live for Christ. We we thank you for the gift, Lord, of of thanksgiving and and praise. Thank you, Lord, that this is a wonderful thing, that we should be able to praise you and thank you constantly. And we ask you, Lord, in this coming week, we may be able to live in this great and wonderful love. And uh, we uh, ask you, Lord, that you will indeed this evening uh, receive us, Lord, as we come consecrating ourselves, our whole lives, to your service. In Jesus' name, amen.